Rayotus is a tabletop gamer, artist, writer, and game designer. Plundergrunds is a zine devoted to dungeon world adventures and content, and now it is also a podcast focused on inspiration, art, and games designed by independent creators. This week's episode is Making the Fantastic Familiar. Hey everybody. I'm feeling kind of down today. I lost my cat of 10 years, kind of suddenly this morning. Uh, Got him from the pound when we first moved here to San Diego and the boys were still little, five and nine. Uh, And he turned out to be just a big lovable oaf. He used to roam the neighborhood and get free handouts from everybody and ended up invading a lot of homes and was welcome there, honestly. He uh, became kind of the neighborhood cat, although he, you know, at our house most of the time. But um, just uh, never met a person he didn't like. Uh, Kind of an unusual cat in that regard and really just one of the best pets I've ever had. So it's been a rough day, Um, not feeling great, but maybe I just thought it uh, as a way of, you know, kind of a tribute to him uh, and his memory. I want to pick a topic today that relates to uh, animals and fantasy. So I'm going to call this one Making the Fantastic Familiar. That's a play on words because I think animals in role-playing games, specifically familiars and animal companions, are a great way of illustrating the tension between the fantastic and the real. Uh, animals are something that we can all relate to. Most of us have had pets and been to zoos and, um, you know, many of us like nature shows. And, and uh, so it's, you know, we, we understand this uh, thing about the bond between human beings and their pets. And often that finds its way into, uh, into role-playing games. Uh, obviously, the most familiar... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be using the word familiar a lot, apparently. The, the most common applications of that are the wizard's familiar and the ranger's animal companion. Um, if you go back, uh, the ranger didn't always have an animal companion. Uh, it was kind of buried in AD&D. It was kind of buried in the Dungeon Master's Guide, the idea that they might have such a thing. It's not anywhere in the base class. So that came in with, I think, third edition. Uh, but it's kind of a staple trope. And I think, honestly, the Drist Duorden uh, series, you know, with Guinevar the cat kind of, uh, you know, played a lot into that. Um, I myself was inspired by fiction like Dragon Riders of Pern. Uh, and Elf Quest, the Wolf Riders and Elf Quest, um, you know, to make Pack World, which was one of the free zines that I released with Plundergrounds. It's not, uh, unlike the other zines, it's not Dungeon World specific. It is, in fact, uh, a framework of questions that you can use with a group to quickly build a campaign setting uh, around a, a group of characters that are uh, a pack themselves. They have a bond with each other, and then they have a, a bond with the animals, these, you know, fantastic animals that they ride. And so the questions lead you through, um, and in fact, they lead you through picking kind of a real world, a real world animal as a base, uh, and then drifting that animal into a more fantastic version of it. Uh, and then building your social structure about, you know, who's the leader of the pack, who's the, who's the old timer, who's the, you know, um, the real heart of the pack, that sort of thing. And then you generate internal and external threats and actually build a map together. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can download that for free. Um, But what I mean by illustrating the tension between the fantastic and the real is animals are something that we can relate to that that are very real to us um, and that we've had real experiences with. So when we take them into the fiction uh, of our role-playing games, we're carrying something with us that we know that makes it 
uh, feel real. Now, usually the first thing we do is uh, improve animals somehow, uh, meaning we can either talk to them directly through, you know, either knowing their language or mind speech, um, or they have unusual capabilities. You know, they're bigger or they're smaller. Um, like there's a whole uh, trope around pocket dragons, dragons that can ride on your shoulder. Um, there's tropes around giant animals that you can ride, like He-Man's battle cat um, or dwarf bear riders. Uh, and of course they often have exotic features, um, and, you know, abilities like maybe they can fly or breathe fire or who knows, you know, what, what all they can do. But we, we tend to amp up the situation in the end though, uh, we still, you know, come back to playing them, uh, based on what we know about animal behavior, you know, pack behavior, territorialism, uh, bonds with humans, things that we have experiences with and have observed. So that's one way that, um, we can make the fantastic real and, to kind of segue a little bit, I think a lot of arguments about high and low fantasy or high and low magic kind of stem from this idea of whether the setting feels real or not. And, you know, we often look to the setting and say, okay, that's a a, a low fantasy, low magic, gritty, realistic setting, or it's a high magic kind of, you know, fantastical, unrealistic sort of setting. Um, but it's not just the setting that makes uh, a game feel real or fantastic. You know, you can, as the player, can do things to make the world feel more real. And part of that is carrying your real-world experiences with you into the game and uh, building around them, you know. So adding fantastic elements that give them the, the skin of fantasy, but they have a heart of, of reality. And so I guess that's just my, my thoughts on that. Um, and I would like to hear if, you know, I'm going to give you some homework. Uh, if you feel like calling into the show, um, there's an Anchor podcast, so there's a nice little utility within Anchor for leaving voicemails. Uh, but if you want to give me your thoughts uh, on or favorite stories about familiars and characters as pets in your games, I'd love to hear that. Um, if you want to tell me a story about one of your pets, that's awesome. Or tell me about one of your cool pets, that's awesome. But uh, tack on to that, um, you know, a way that you might then... Tell, tell me how you would make that creature fantastical and, and bring it into the role-playing game with you because I want to keep this kind of focused on role-playing games. Otherwise, I'll um, break down and we'll have an hour-long conversation about all the cool things my cat did uh, while he was still alive. So uh, thanks for listening to that. I uh, look forward to hearing your thoughts. And now let's go to the mailbag. I've already got a call in from the pilot. Hello Ray, Colin, Spike Pit here. Welcome aboard to Anchor, my man. Great first episode. Really enjoyed the show. And I cannot believe that you mentioned Troika, of all things. Um, I'm a big fan of Troika. I just backed the Kickstarter that finished a few days ago. Um, And yeah, it's got a rich fight in fantasy history. So I don't know if you're clued in on fighting fantasy but it's quite a uk thing it's like a choose your own adventure type of uh uh storybook thing put out by ian livingstone steve jackson back in the day big time in the 80s um yeah so yeah i'm sure you're aware of it anyway but troika what do you think of that initiative system i think it's awesome man with the dice in the bag gotta be lots of fun haven't ran it yet but will do Laters. 
Hey, Colin. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. That was really cool. Um, I was excited to get a call in off my uh, horrendously long and, and random uh, pilot episode. So I appreciate your listening to that and, and uh, you know, shouting out to me. Um, I love hearing your voice. Uh, when I listen to the Spike Pit podcast that you do here on Anchor, I always feel like I'm sitting right next to you in the pub. So maybe one of these days we can make that happen. Yeah. Uh, fighting fantasy. That's not a connection I had made and that's pretty smart. I didn't, you know, that's kind of a neat, um, observation. I I do remember fighting fantasy here in the U S. Uh, I started gaming around 77, maybe even a little earlier actually. Uh, so fighting fantasy, I think came out in the early eighties. And I remember picking up warlock of firetop mountain, uh, on the bookshelf and it had a really cool cover by Corbin, uh, the fantasy artist, um, and when I, I Googled it because I wanted to see that cover again and hit, you know, my nostalgia button, uh, and get all the good feels from it. And when I Googled it, I saw the UK cover and frankly, I even like that one better. So I'm a little jealous. I think that's a, that was a neat cover. If you really like fighting fantasy, I would point you to, uh, the fear of a black dragon podcast. And I think the, I looked it up. It's the episode from October 2017 where they do Warlock of Firetop Mountain. And Jason and Tom, the hosts there, do a really good job with it. Tom uh, remembers it fondly, you know, f- uh, from playing with it as a kid. Uh, and so that really comes through. But at the same time, they are not um, unaware of some of the quirkier bits of it, you know, that relate to uh, most things fantasy from the early 80s. So it's it's an, a, it's a really neat listen. If you've never heard, uh, never heard the Fear of the Black Dragon podcast, uh, they take classic adventure modules or well-thought-up adventure modules and do run-throughs, um, kind of discuss them. There's spoilers, of course, but, you know, frankly, most of these modules are 20 years old, and, and how much can you really spoil a module anyway? You know, as soon as the characters get in there and start uh, goofing around, everything goes sideways. So, uh, you know, every time I play a module, it comes out different. I, I don't think that uh, spoilers are too big of an issue, but if you're worried about that, then be careful. But uh, great podcast. Uh, in fact, an any winning podcast. Uh, this as of this year. Uh, regarding Troika, man, I cannot believe that I didn't mention the initiative. That's probably my favorite part of the whole book. Um, it's what I call an evolving initiative system. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, there are um, evolving initiative systems where the initiative is different each round, meaning that you know might start with a different person each round um, and go in a different order each round. Uh, so it's not the same uh, from time to time. And Troika is an extreme example of that. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But the other version, uh, the opposite end of the spectrum is what I call the set it and forget it. Uh, the set it and forget it version of initiative where you roll once and then uh, you sort of slavishly follow that order round after round until everything's dead or or runs away Um, and frankly there's a world of difference between the two if you've played them and it's worth that extra bit of weight uh, mechanically to re-roll the initiative every round because it really makes the game feel more fluid and realistic and pushes the fiction in interesting ways so I'd encourage people to do that. Troika uh, amps it up by basically giving everyone, uh, all the characters, initiative tokens and the monsters initiative tokens. And then there's an end of round token and all those tokens go into a bag. Now, Colin, I think you said you use dice, which is a great idea. Um, and as long as everybody knows, you know, the color of their token that, that represents their character or the monster or whatever, you know, it's, it's all hunky-dory. But... Um, so then the, the GM pulls out one token at a time, and that's who acts in, in order. 
And uh, if the end of turn token comes out, um, that's obviously the end of the uh, end of the round, and all the tokens go back into the bag, and you shake them up, and you do it all over again. And that can mean that a player might actually not get a turn in a round. His character might not get a turn in a round, which I think is super cool. Now, I, I suppose that might uh, irritate some people, but honestly, I think it's just going to be a load of fun, um, and I'm anxious to run the game, uh, which I have not done yet. Uh, I will notice. Uh, I'll make note of one thing. One uh, way of doing it that's in between the kind of evolving initiative and set it and forget it. And this is a trick that Mike Evans, the author of Hubris, used uh, both times that I played with him at Gen Con. And just as a side note, if you ever get a chance to play a game with Mike Evans as GM, you need to do that because he's, he's fantastic. But um, we would often have large tables. The times I played with him, it's been on large tables, you know, nine plus people. Um, and so he has this initiative trick where everybody rolls initiative um, each round. But it, um, to set the order for the round, you find the highest initiative and the second highest initiative. And you start with the person who's got the highest initiative and you move clockwise or counterclockwise um, to, uh, towards the nearest person with the next highest initiative. So t- towards the next highest initiative in the, in the closest, ver- you know, closest direction, right? So uh, that gives you a, a turn order where people can kind of predict when their turn's going to be. But it also keeps it fluid and different from turn to turn. And of course, the GM roles in that situation too, so it could start with the monsters. Um, any rate, uh, I, I really appreciate your bringing my attention to that, and uh, loved hearing from you, and and uh, just really a good welcome to me to like starting a new podcast. It's nice to immediately make a connection with someone. So, uh, cheers to you, and uh, look forward to more Spike Pit episodes. Thanks for listening. You can find Ray Otus on Google Plus. The Plundergrounds Patreon is at plundergrounds.com. Free role-playing games and articles are housed at jellysaw.com. Follow the links in the show notes. Until next time, watch out for rust monsters.